Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Welcome to Overnight America with Ryan Recker on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts, michaelsflooringoutlet.com. Ryan Recker, I am not. Nope, Brad Young sitting in for the vacationing. Ryan Recker, he should be back next week. And uh, I'll be sitting in with you also on Wednesday, uh, New Year's Eve Eve. So, But tonight, uh, I'll be with you till midnight, so thanks for staying up late with us. And if you missed the first two hours, we'll be replaying those at midnight. We had a great conversation with David Nicholas in the 9 o'clock hour about the St. Louis economics where we are right now financially, jobs, uh, and where we're going to be going economically in the months and years to come. And last hour, we talked to Tom Papa Ray. He's the owner. You know who he is. He's the owner of Vintage Vinyl, and we were talking about records, and uh, we had a lot of calls about your first record. What was your first record that you listened to, and do you still find it interesting to listen to records? And also, I threw out the question right before the break, what'd you get for Christmas? Uh, You know, Christmas, uh, hopefully you got uh, a good Christmas present. Hopefully Santa made it to your house. And uh, what did Santa or your relatives bring you for Christmas this year? 314-436-7900. Phone lines are open. Let us know what you got for Christmas. Now, speaking of records, I, I just find this fascinating that vinyl album sales are now eclipsing CD sales. In fact, I just looked it up during the break. Uh, the the week ending Christmas Day, U.S. sold 1.8 million LPs, 1.8 million vinyl records, which is more than CDs. Uh, it it ex- eclipsed CDs, uh, and this is the largest week for record sales since 1991. So that's why I wanted to have Tom Ray on last hour to talk about some of the reasons why this is. So, for example, in the past week, there were 1.6 million CD sales, 1.8 million vinyl record sales. It's only the fourth time that's happened in the past 30 years, the past 30 years, Oh, and by the way, all four of those occurrences, 2020, 
So I just don't think that's an accident that in the in the past 30 years, record sales, album sales never exceeded CD sales until this year, until COVID, until we were forced to stay at home, until we were separated from our family and friends and relatives and connections with other people. And we kind of reconnected with the idea of records. You know, in the past, I guess, two weeks, I've talked to several 20-somethings that I know, and including, you know, kids of mine, and records are big. Records are very, very popular. So what was your first record experience? I mentioned mine and sneaking into my sister's bedroom to listen to Beatles records because the Beatles were pretty much already broken up by the time I was uh, of any age to even know who they were. Uh, They were already gone, but I still enjoyed listening to them, still enjoy listening to them even to this day, even though obviously the music is older than I am. The music, though, from them is timeless. And by the way, if you haven't seen the movie Yesterday, that is a fantastic movie. It's a little tough to watch. There's one scene in the movie that's a little tough to watch if you've ever had any dental issues. But other than that, that's not a spoiler. I'm just letting you know that uh, other than that, that is one of my favorite movies that I've seen in the past two years was Yesterday. It's got a great story. It obviously has a fantastic soundtrack uh, because it's it's every Beatles song you've ever heard is in that movie. But it's not just playing Beatles. It's it's integral to the plot of the movie. And the plot is complex. It's interesting. And there are lots of twists and turns. Highly, highly recommend the movie yesterday. Uh, one of the things I mentioned, I grew up in Illinois. But what I thought was interesting was I was looking through the news today. And throngs, when I say throngs, I mean large numbers of people are fleeing the state of Illinois. They're just moving out. In fact, it's called the Illinois population drain. And Illinois is leading the country right now, leading the country in people departing, leaving the state for elsewhere. And I think there's lots of reasons for that. I I love Illinois. All my relatives still live in Illinois in the same small town where I grew up. And yet folks are leaving faster than ever before. So when we come back from this break, I'm going to go through why that's happening. And I'm also going to focus on maybe how they could stop that trail outside of the state. In other words, people are just leaving a trail as they're blasting out of the state How can we stem the tide? Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Get home fast and informed. Total Information PM starts weekdays at 4 on St. Louis's news radio, KMOX and KMOX.com. Overnight America, Brad Young sitting in for the vacationing Ryan Recker. And we're talking about our friends to the east. No, I'm not talking about China. I'm talking about Illinois, my land of my birth, a great state of Illinois. And yet I saw that census figures, preliminary census figures that came out late last week showed that the state's population in 2020 declined at a rate not seen since World War II. That's been, what, 70 years ago. 
So I looked at the actual numbers, and 79,000 people left the state of Illinois just this year, just this year. And uh, and going back over the last 10 years, since 2010, Illinois has lost 250,000 people. quarter of a million people have left the state of Illinois in the last 10 years. And, uh, and the question is why? Well, first of all, Illinois is not alone in this. Uh, it, I, I looked around and I found that California is hemorrhaging people, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, Minnesota, even Michigan are all going to lose congressional seats in the next election because of the migrations of people out of their state. But Illinois, I think in particular, it's easier to look at why that is. You know, Illinois tax rates are just crazy over there. Property tax, uh, income tax. In fact, it's interesting that this past November, if you're listening in Illinois right now, you're going to know what I'm talking about. And that is that Governor Pritzker put on the ballot a new tax, a graduated income tax plan that would essentially would have allowed the Illinois state government just to willy-nilly increase taxes anytime they wanted. Just raise taxes. Now, you know, in, in Missouri, we have the Hancock Amendment. I believe it was Mel Hancock, not, not John. Everybody who listens to KMOX knows John Hancock, but I think it was Mel Hancock who passed the Hancock Amendment in Missouri that, that mandates that if there's a tax increase, voters have to vote on it. And that doesn't happen very often. We've seen several instances of attempts to raise the gas tax, and it just has not passed in the state of Missouri. But in Illinois, they tried to change the law this past November. And I got to tell you, for a blue state, I was never more proud that when voters in Illinois soundly rejected that attempt to increase taxes, uh, it was 55% to 45% rejecting that proposition. And, uh, and, and all estimates are that this decline is really going to continue. So the question becomes, can a state like Illinois tax its way into prosperity? And the answer to that is clearly, clearly no, it can't do that. Uh, I depose a lot of doctors in the course of my legal career. And I remember once, and I won't mention any names, but I was deposing a doctor in Illinois. And this particular doctor mentioned that the state of Illinois owed his practice uh, millions of dollars in unpaid bills due to people who were getting state aid, and the state just didn't pay it, didn't pay the bills. So they were owed millions of dollars, and he told me, you know, we're never going to see that money ever. But where do you think that money goes? In other words, if a doctor's office, if Dr. Smith, and I'm just making that name up, if Dr. Smith is owed millions of dollars by the state of Illinois and he doesn't get paid or she doesn't get paid, they're not going to just say, okay. I mean, those practices are built to make money. And so where do you think that money comes from? Yeah, that's right. They raise the prices and they raise the bills for your medical care and my medical care and anyone else who gets medical care at that facility. So it's not just a, a, an issue that says well, it is located within the state of Illinois, but if you're treating in the state of Illinois just with the issue of unpaid medical bills, that's costing you money. 
It's driving up your insurance rates. And as fewer and as more and more people leave the state, that means less and less tax revenue for the state of Illinois, which means what? Government spending never goes down. Never, ever does government spending go down. You know, not even during the Reagan administration, who championed reduced spending, the rate of increase went down, but net spending and for a government entity never decreases ever. So if you're in the state of Illinois and people are fleeing the state because of high taxes, what's the result of that? Well, the result is you've got to get that money from somewhere, and they're going to get it from you if you live in the state. So as fewer and fewer people live in Illinois, taxes are just going to go higher and higher. Now, I, I do have to tell you one funny story. When I was in college, I went to SIU Carbondale, and I participated in something called Model Illinois Government. Now, Model Illinois Government is a fabulous program. It's a program where political science majors, and that's what my major was, political science majors all go and they gather in Springfield, Illinois, sitting in the actual seats where the state house and the state senate meet to pass laws for the state of Illinois. And so we would pass, we would introduce bills, and we would argue bills, and we would vote on bills. And at one point in time when I was in, this would have been in the 1980s, and I was there in Springfield, it got very contentious. In other words, Republicans were just screaming about Republicans, and the Democrats were screaming about Democrats, and, and everyone was going into their corners and yelling at the other side and and uh, you know, questioning everyone's parentage. I mean, that's really the kind of arguing that was going on. So I thought, listen, I need to break this up a little bit. So I introduced a bill in model Illinois government, and the bill was this that the state of Illinois should annex the city of St. Louis. Why would, would we, would, why would Illinois want to annex the city of St. Louis? Well, in the bill, the stated purpose of the bill was we should annex St. Louis so that for the first time in history, Illinois could have a decent baseball team. Well, when I did that, all of the Chicago people who were there were outraged that I would disparage Chicago baseball teams. And, of course, in the 1980s, the Cubs hadn't won the World Series since, like, what, 1904 or 1907 or something crazy like that. So it became very easy for me to demonstrate that Chicago just uh, stinks when it comes to baseball teams. But St. Louis has a fantastic baseball team. Maybe we should just annex St. Louis. So that was a proposition that did not pass because the Chicago contingency of folks uh, did not like it. But nevertheless, uh, it was uh, something interesting to behold, the arguments that ensued. Uh, the other things that are going on right now, and I don't know if you've been following the runoff election in Georgia, but uh, the runoff election in Georgia, the Democrats are actually complaining they're complaining because they're running out of money. Now, there's been record fundraising in going on in Georgia. M hundreds of millions of dollars have poured in to that race. Now, if you, if you haven't been living under a rock, you'll know that the Georgia election is critical this year because it will determine who controls the Senate. Right now in the Senate, there are 
50 Republicans, and there are essentially 48 Democrats. So what happens in Georgia is this. Those two runoff elections will be decided on, I believe, January 4. And when that runoff election is held, if the Democrats win both of those seats, there will be a 50-50 tie in the Senate. Now, if there's a 50-50 tie, the vice president casts the deciding vote to determine which party is in the majority in the U.S. Senate. And since Joe Biden will be sworn into office on January 20, Kamala Harris will be the one who casts that tie-breaking vote. So if the Democrats want to control the House, the Senate, and the White House, just like they did during the first two years of the Obama administration, they have to win both of those races in Georgia. And the polling data right now is as close as close can be. Now, what I'm not hearing is anyone pointing out the polling data. I mean, did you follow the polling data in the presidential election? At one point, two or three weeks before the election, it had Joe Biden up by 17 percentage points. 17 percentage points. Now, Joe Biden did win the popular vote, but he didn't win the Electoral College by anywhere near that amount. And in fact, every poll had Biden up, most of them in double digits, and he ended up winning not anywhere close to that. So the question becomes, how accurate are these polls? But setting that point aside for the moment, the polling data right now in Georgia uh, between, I think it's, uh, it is Ossoff and Warnock, they're the Democrats against uh uh, uh, Leffler and Purdue. And in both of those elections and both of those runoffs, there were within one percentage point. So it is as close as close can be. And money is flowing into there. And uh, we're going to see how that race turns out. Now, in a race like this, and I know that Rich Rubino could, would be happy to tell you about this if he were on, Rich Rubino would tell you that in a race like this, it all comes down to turnout. Who can get their base turned out to vote on Election Day? Now, as of today, more than 2 million ballots have already been cast in Georgia, and those are mail-in ballots. And so when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you what's changed in Georgia. So hopefully we'll have a result that's, uh, uh, that's, that we know what the result of the election is before a week passes, because before it took almost a week for Georgia to report their election results. This time, hopefully, it won't take that long. I'll tell you why in just a moment. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America on KMOX. News Radio 1120, KMOX, the voice of the Cardinals. Welcome back to Overnight America. Brad Young listening to the police. No, not sirens. Police music. Glad you're staying up late with us this evening. We're talking about the Georgia election. And it's interesting. If you remember watching the returns on election night, I mean, I I had, I got to tell you, I had like five computers going. I was updating different computers. I had two different phones. I had a tablet and two televisions, all updating different channels watching this election because I was uh, captivated by it, as most of us were. Largest turnout in electoral history uh, in November. 
But one of the things that came up during the election, and you'll remember this, was Georgia just couldn't get their act together. You know, at some point they claimed there was some sort of a water break, water main break, and now that that's the source of several conspiracy theories, I don't know whether a break happened or not. But the point being is that the delays, the, the vote counts were delayed because Georgia couldn't count. They couldn't begin to count the mail-in ballots until after the election. And so now because the literally the entire country is focused on this Georgia election that's going to be coming up on uh, January 5th, the state of Georgia has reformed somewhat how they're going to be counting these ballots. So the Georgia Secretary of State's office announced last week that counties in Georgia will be allowed to start actually counting all of those absentee ballots and all of those mail-in ballots prior to January 5th. So in other words, when the election is on 5th and people show up, hopefully by that time, the, the mail-in ballots and the absentee ballots will either be counted or in the process of being counted. In fact, under this new Georgia directive, that the counties will be required to start their count no later than December 30. So hopefully the, the goal here is faster election results because we're not going to want to wait a month after this election on the 5th to see who won, to see who will be in control of the Senate, because that will determine what type of an agenda a president-elect Biden will have when he takes office. You know, he's under immense pressure from the left, my friends, immense pressure to pass a progressive agenda. And if there is a Republican-controlled Senate, that agenda just is just not going to move forward in the U.S. Senate if Mitch McConnell is still in charge and running the Senate as the Senate Majority Leader. It's not going to happen. So that's why there's so much focus. Now, what I think is interesting is, is that sources close to uh, uh, Democrat Chuck Schumer, you know who he is in the Senate from New York, sources close to Chuck Schumer say that he's pessimistic on the Democrats' chances. Now, polling data right now doesn't exactly show that. I mean, the polling data is very tight. It's it's the tightest polling data I've ever seen. So the question becomes, is, is Chuck Schumer seeing polling data that we're not seeing? Or is Chuck Schumer looking at the fact that historically uh, uh, Republicans have a greater turnout on off-year or in runoff elections than do Democrats? But if you look at the number of mail-in ballots, 2 million, most of those are probably going to be Democrat ballots. So we're going to be looking at a similar situation where on election night, as the people who show up and vote on election day, as those votes are being counted, it's probably going to be very heavily in favor of the Republicans. And then once the data is merged with the mail-in ballots, those will tend to be more Democrat balance. The question is, where is that all going to turn out at the end of the evening? Where is it going to turn out? Now, at least they're going to be counting the ballots, the mail-in ballots, in advance. So hopefully we won't have to wait until President-elect Biden is sworn in on the 20th to know who is in charge of the Senate. Because that's going to make a big 
difference, friends. It's going to make a big difference on what type of an administration Joe Biden has. I mean, just from this perspective, listen to this. You know that when a president nominates someone for a cabinet position, that requires approval of the Senate. So Susan Rice was was being considered to be the Secretary of State. And that uh, and she's very left, she's very progressive, and that determination, that nomination of of her Susan Rice was pulled because of the belief that the Republicans would keep control of the Senate. Now, if the Democrats take control of the Senate, all bets are off because all you have to do is have a simple majority to approve those nominations. Here's another thing that I found very, very interesting as we look back at this year and particularly at the election, because this time of year is a time of reflection. If you turn on television, you're going to see lots of year-end reviews, what's happened in the news this year. And, of course, everything's going to be focused on COVID and the election because those were the two driving stories of the year. But one thing that I think is missing from this is the fact that do you, do you realize how many Republican women were elected this year? If you look at Joni Ernst, She's the senator. I really like her. She's got a military background. She's from Iowa. She was trailing in most of the polls, but she ended up winning by six points. Maine Senator Susan Collins, you know, she became the front and center, the focal point of the Kavanaugh appointment to the Supreme Court and then the Amy Coney Barrett uh, nomination to the Supreme Court. She, she was considered a long shot to win her election this year. She won by nine points. Nine points. That's a that's a big win. Michelle Fishbach in Minnesota's 7th Congressional District, she unseated a 30-year Democrat incumbent. And a Hispanic Republican in Florida, Maria Salazar, she flipped another Democrat congressional seat, flipped it to the Republicans. All told, I did the math. I added it up. 28 GOP women won congressional seats this year, including nine of the 12 House seats that were flipped by Republicans. Now, this should be hailed as the year of the woman. Have you seen anything, anything at all, on mainstream media talking about the Republican year of the women? Have you heard that at all? Of course not. You haven't heard that at all. Now, a few years ago, when there were a number of Democrat women who won both in the House and in the Senate, it was blanket coverage. Mainstream media, all of the TV networks, blanket coverage, the year of the woman, this is the year of the woman, but it's because they were Democrats. So now that you've got 28 GOP women winning congressional seats across this country in blue states and in red states, flipping seats from the Democrats to the Republicans, wouldn't you expect to see the same type of coverage for women winning seats? No, you don't see that at all. And that's because it's, it's simple. It's because they are Republican women, and the major networks don't want to publicize that. You know, one of the things that Rush Limbaugh likes to talk about is that the, the uh, NAACP really should be the 
NAACP, the, the advancement of liberals, because the NAACP isn't cheering on in the advancement of Clarence Thomas. They weren't cheering when Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams were publishing some of the best economic analysis coming out of this country. You didn't hear that uh, because they didn't fit the right mindset. And I think that same model, that exact same model applies now when it comes to women, because you're seeing women making advances across the board in Republicans across the country, and yet it simply isn't being reported. And that's a shame. And that's a shame because it should be. And that's why we are doing it here. Hey, when we come back, when we come back from this break, I'm going to tell you about a fascinating legal case going on involving free speech of a cheerleader in Pennsylvania. And hopefully this case is going to the Supreme Court because I would like the Supreme Court to weigh in on this particular case. I'm going to break it down for you after this break. Brad Young sitting in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America on The Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Now back to Overnight America on KMOX. Sponsored by Michael's Flooring, the flooring experts. Michael'sFlooringOutlet.com. back to KMOX and Overnight America. Brad Young sitting in for the vacationing Ryan Recker. And before the break, I mentioned I wanted to talk about this case. It's a fascinating case. This is the kind of case. It's This could be a law school exam. In fact, I, I promise you that something like this will be on somebody's law school exam this May. I promise you, if you're a third-year law student right now, count on it. You're going to see this on the exam. Here's the setup. This came out of Pennsylvania. And I I don't know that you're going to see this the same way that I do. But here's the setup. We don't know this particular young lady's name because the lawsuit was filed in the name of the letters B period L period, which are her initials. So we don't know her name, but her initials are BL. So I'm going to refer to her as BL. And this is out of Pennsylvania. Third uh, District Court of Appeals. But at the circuit court level, the case went to trial. But let me tell you the facts because they're fascinating. BL was a junior varsity cheerleader. And she was trying out to be on the varsity team. And she didn't make it. Like I'm sure a lot of young ladies, she just didn't make it to the varsity team. But here's what happened. Over the weekend... On her own phone, while she was at home, on her own time, and to her own friends, she sent out a Snapchat that said, F cheerleading. And that's what she said. And, you know, with Snapchat, those kind of things disappear rather quickly. But one of her friends, well, one of her friends weren't as, wasn't as good of a friend as she thought because they took a screenshot of that particular Snapchat. And showed it to the coach, the the volleyball, or rather the cheerleading coach at school. And so the the student was suspended because of it. She violated the team and school rules. And she was punished for that. And so the question becomes, can a school district suspend 
and punish a person for something that she said off campus, off school, on her own time, on her own phone, to her own friends in a manner that was destroyed because that's what Snapchats do. They disappear after a certain period of time. Can they now be punished for doing this? And to me, this is a fascinating question. Because of technology now, we're in a situation where, where does school end? Where does school end? You know, my oldest daughter, a senior in high school, she's going to school in our basement. So does school carry into our basement? Does that mean that the basement of my house is now school property? There's a really a, a great other story that I'm going to get to before the evening's over that deals with that question as well. But this one expands that issue with the cheerleader, talking about what limits do we have on our freedom of speech. You know, there was an amazing event in the 1970s where uh, members of the Ku Klux Klan wanted to march in Skokie, Illinois. And the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, argued that the neo-Nazis, members of the Ku Klux Klan, should be allowed to speak, even though I'm confident that the lawyers that were representing them from the ACLU were Jewish. But they were standing up for someone's right to speak, even when it's reprehensible. So this isn't an issue about what this girl, what this young lady said, because clearly it was vulgar. Clearly it was improper. It was imprudent. She shouldn't have done it. Everyone can agree on that. But can a school punish you as a student for something that you say on your own time at home on the weekend to your friends? At what point can the school district monitor and punish you for speech? And so this went to case, this case went to trial. The district court granted summary judgment in the student's favor and said, you know what, student? The school violated your First Amendment rights when they punished you because you didn't say it at school. Clearly, if she would have been at school and said that, no question about it, you're suspended. I've got two orders for you. Get out and stay out. Okay, But saying at home is a whole nother thing. And so the case went up to the Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals analyzed all the issues. I won't dig into all those weeds for you. But the Court of Appeals ultimately sided on the behalf of the student as well, stating that her First Amendment rights were violated and the school cannot control a student's speech when they're away from school. Now, all of this analysis, all of this case law and all of these arguments, because there's many of these arguments going on across the country right now, these all come from one Case. It's called Tinker versus Des Moines. It's from 1969. And back in the 60s, you got to remember now, I wasn't around in the 60s, but back in the 60s, people were protesting everything. And somebody came to school wearing protesting armbands. And, uh, and at the school, the school district tried to punish them. And the court said, yes, you can punish students for coming to school and disrupting school with their free speech. That's why you can't start yelling and screaming vulgarities at school. You're going to be kicked out. But the Supreme Court has never addressed 
the issue of can schools control speech when those students are not at school? That's not a question they've ever dealt with. And so now the school district who got who lost at the trial level and lost at the court of appeals level, they've now filed an appeal with the U.S. Supreme Court. And I hope they take it because this is an issue that needs clarity across our country. Hey, Jimmy, you've got some thoughts on this. Welcome to Camo X. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Oh, my last name's Package, and I'm waiting on the stimulus. Okay. <laughs> What's on your mind? Oh, a school, you know what? you got a branch laying around there. The way I was taught was reading, writing, and arithmetic taught to the tune of the hickory stick. Will that work? Will that work in what way? Uh, the corporal punishment needs to come back. Then it would stop all the violence, I think. Yeah, I don't think we're going to be seeing corporal punishment anytime soon. But, uh, hey, I appreciate you calling in this evening. Thank you. Yeah, I don't think corporal punishment's going to be coming back anytime soon. But the question is, does that bother you? Does it bother you that the school district is asserting that they are entitled to control everything that that student says, whether it's on school or away from school? To me, that's egregious. Uh, I, I would punish, I've got three daughters, I would punish any of them for sending out a Snapchat like that, because that's my job as a parent. But I would not allow a school district to punish a child for something that they said away from school. It has nothing whatsoever to do with school. But yet the school district says they should be allowed to control the speech. And here's the way that they argue it. Because so the one student took a snapshot, took a screenshot of that Snapchat and showed it to somebody, showed it to the teacher and the, uh, the person in charge of the cheerleading squad. Because of that, it was likely to cause some disruption in school. And therefore, since under the Tinker case, if you disrupt school, it can be that speech can be controlled. But that was an accident. That wasn't the intended the intended purpose of the speech. It was not designed to go to school. She didn't spray paint it on a building. She didn't carry it as a, as a protest sign. She didn't wear a shirt that said F the cheerleading squad. She said it at home on her own phone. And so I truly, truly believe that the Supreme Court should take this case because we've never had a Supreme Court decision that discussed the lengths of, of the school district's ability to control speech in the era of social media. Now, you know, my kids are all on social media all the time. Anybody that I know uh, that's under the age of 40 is on social media all the time. And, and this is something that clearly, clearly should be addressed. Because if it's not addressed... How far can the school district go? And in fact, in the next hour, I'm going to give you an example of a kid in Louisiana who is now being punished because he too, like your kids and my kids, many of our kids, is attending school via Zoom or via video conferencing. It could be Schoolology or whatever else platform is being used. 
But the school district's position is when your kid is in the basement or their bedroom, that is their school. So in other words, the school now is asserting property right argument over your home, your bedroom, your basement when a kid is attending school via video conferencing. I'm going to give you the details of that in the next half hour. Brad Young filling in for Ryan Recker on Overnight America. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.